Welcome to Pop Culture Rx, part of Hackensack Meridian Health's award-winning podcast. Pop Culture Rx is where we sit down with a medical expert and talk through various health-related topics circulating in today's media. In our discussions, you'll hear from a variety of professionals sharing insight and advice on these newsworthy conditions. This is Pop Culture Rx. Well, it has been over a year since COVID-19 was declared a pandemic, and with that brought a year of loss, separation, anxiety, and uncertainty. Eventually, the physical stress of the infection might end, but for some, the emotional scars from the pandemic can last for months or even years, often in the form of post-traumatic stress disorder or PTSD. I'm back again with Dr. Gary Small, a behavioral health physician and chief and psychiatrist with Hackensack University Medical Center, to talk through what this might mean for our community's mental health in the future. Thanks for being back with us, Dr. Great Small. Great to be back, thank you. So let's start from the beginning. What is PTSD? So PTSD is a mental condition that people experience after they've been exposed to a traumatic life event. And the symptoms are generally worse if there's direct exposure, but even indirect exposure can lead to PTSD. And there's a cluster of symptoms that they experience that uh, a doctor needs to observe or the patient needs to report in order to make the diagnosis. So, you know, a lot of us have heard about the kinds of symptoms, nightmares, there's what's often termed amplified responses, so people startle easily with loud noises. Uh, there's intrusive thoughts and memories of those uncomfortable traumatic events. And then there's just a wide range of mental symptoms from depression to anxiety. And what people tend to do is they avoid any kind of situation that might bring up those traumatic memories. So in the in the terms of COVID-19 with us all having to, you know, separate from each other and be in lockdown and quarantine and social distancing and all of that, that could really be harmful to to go back into that state and to have to experience that again. It's a very troubling time for all of us. Uh, you know, you've probably heard the term COVID fatigue. I mean, mm-hmm. Uh, there's all these surges, and just when we think there's a light at the end of the tunnel, there's another outbreak of a new variant, and and people become tired mentally. And what might experience be experienced as a traumatic event? Often, it's a lof- loss of a loved one. It's someone who was otherwise healthy, old, middle-aged, or young, who all of a sudden appears very weak, and their life is threatened. And, and then there's the fear of it affecting your own physical health. But I think a lot of people don't realize there's, there's really a, a pandemic of mental disturbance within this pandemic. We've seen rates of uh, emergency room visits for behavioral health patients go up. Uh, we're really struggling throughout the country and throughout the world with dealing with these mental stressors that people are having a hard time coping with. Is there like a, almost like a spectrum of PTSD? So for example, you mentioned losing a loved one. Like what makes it abnormal? Because obviously you're gonna go through some grieving and you're gonna you know, miss your loved one and have memories of your loved one. But at what point does it become, you know, okay, this is an issue? 
Well, any uh, behavioral health problem, when you hear the word disorder after the description, that's a problem. It means that it's interfering with your everyday life, your ability to function. So if people are having recurrent nightmares, waking up in the middle of the night with these horrible images, uh, panting, panicked, that's going to be disturbing. It's going to disrupt their sleep. The next day, they're going to be tired. If they have a startle response, if they're uh, frightened by uh, a loud backfire of a car, thinking that, my God, that's a gunshot, uh, it's going to be difficult to cope in everyday life. So I think it's really when it interferes with your daily function when it becomes a problem. Now, certainly people can have mild forms of it and they get over it. Uh, if you go back to 9-11, I think that was very stressful for everyone. Mm -hmm. uh, the people who experienced the greatest stress were those who were in Manhattan, who were downtown, who had loved ones who went through this, who went through it themselves. But even people on the West Coast who observe the images, it can be quite frightening and they can have uh, nightmares, dreams, startle response as a result. And I think it's particularly difficult for young children to experience these kinds of events. When they see their parents frightened, that anxiety is infectious and it, uh, it makes it harder for them to cope. Yeah, and, and you mentioned 9-11 and something that I've heard, you know, even more so now is survivor's guilt. So feeling almost guilty that, that you survived this traumatic event. And I'm sure that, you know, with COVID, that that might be something that pops up in the future for knowing you survived this incredible pandemic. There's a lot of that. There's probably uh, anti-vax guilt where people uh, were concerned about getting vaccinated and that led to an infection of someone close to them and feeling guilty about how they behaved earlier. So there's many layers to the kinds of threats that we're experiencing to our mental health as a result. So let's get back to PTSD. So, so you mentioned traumatic events being kind of a risk factor for PTSD. Are there any other kind of risk factors for someone developing PTSD? So I think you, know, you really need the traumatic event or events as a trigger. But of course, there's going to be a variety of predisposing or risk factors for any individual. So someone, for example, who has uh, a so-called neurotic personality or so, you know, someone who is more prone to anxiety and worry and fretting about everyday life, they're going to be at greater risk. Someone who maybe has a family history of depression, so perhaps a genetic predisposition or a family history of anxiety they will be more likely to be affected. And I think people who have had trouble coping with life in general are gonna have a harder time. I mean, you can have, for example, two children in a family who are exposed to the same traumatic event, and one may do fine, the other may have a very difficult time recovering because of their personality or the emotional stresses they've experienced in the past or even just their emotional sensitivity. You know, m some children are a little bit more emotional and feel things a little bit more than, than others. So I feel like if you're seeing something traumatic on TV like 9-11 or COVID or, you know, all those images of the nurses and doctors gearing up to get into the hospital, almost like a war zone, you might feel a little bit more emotional towards that. 
That's certainly the case. And I think uh, if, you, if you consider how people's brains are hardwired, you know, there's a range of empathy skills. So the ability to experience and reflect back to others what, their, what that person's emotional experience is. Now, we like empathy. It draws us together. It's important because it's, a, it's, it's sort of the glue that keeps us together as a society. It solidifies our friendships. And it makes life more meaningful if you have empathy and you can understand your friends and family members. But if you're empathic, you also experience more pain. When, when others are uncomfortable, in distress, you f- it goes more to your core experience. There's actually a term that we learn when we're training to be doctors. It's called detached concern. And it refers to you know, having that ability to empathize with your patients, but not being overwhelmed by those feelings. Because if you're overwhelmed, you cannot be objective and you can't help patients. I think this, this uh, COVID pandemic has been a huge problem for healthcare workers, particularly those in emergency room settings. And we've uh, heard many of those stories about burnout, survivor's guilt, all kinds of problems. And, and many frontline workers have left the field because they just can't take it anymore. Yeah, I mean, I would feel the same way. I feel that I'm very empathic and I I could never do your job, for example, because I think I would just be thinking about my patients and what I can do to help them and, oh, the, the terrible things that they've gone through or, you know, what they're going through. It would just, like, I wouldn't sleep at night because I would just be thinking about that all the time. I, you know, I understand that point of view, and that steers a lot of people away from psychiatry. But the upside is if you do become a mental health professional, you learn how to deal with those feelings. So there is a way to uh, gain perspective, uh, to not get overwhelmed by those feelings, to understand them, understand your own emotional reaction when you're with a patient or when you're in any kind of situation. And that really helps. And I think in some ways, other health practitioners, it's harder because they haven't had that specific training. So if you can give a quick, like, how-to what would you share with, you know, a healthcare professional to help them maybe detach a little bit more so that they could survive this pandemic? You know, I think it's important to uh, take care of yourself, your own emotional needs. Uh, you know, if you're in the healthcare profession, a lot of people are, uh, they like to help people and they like to rescue them and they like to take charge. But there's a certain point where you have to put a pause on. You have to take a recess and recharge your own emotional battery. So take breaks, spend time with friends and family, talk about what's bothering you, take care of your mental and physical health needs. For example, we know that regular physical exercise fights off depression, fights off anxiety, gives you a steadier mood, gives you a perspective on dealing with stress in life. It actually gets your brain to uh, bathe in proteins that, uh, and hormones that actually improve your mood and uh, lower pain throughout the body. So regular phys- physical exercise, uh, eating healthy, learning to meditate can be very important to help you 
get a good night's sleep, which is critically important for your mental health. Meditation is so hard. I give so much kudos to anyone that can meditate. So background, I, I've been seeing a, a social worker, psychiatrist um, for years now. I'm very into my mental health and supporting mental health and, and all of that jazz. And I think everyone should talk to someone. Um, and we tried working on meditation at one point. And I, I, I said to her, I said, my, my mind is like a radio and it just keeps searching for, you know, a station that's, that's working and s- focusing and meditating just is so hard when your mind is searching for something else. So I give kudos to anyone that could meditate so and sit and be with themselves. I understand that. When I was uh, a college student, I tried meditation. I had the same problem. My mind wandered. I felt I was a terrible meditator. But years later, when I studied it uh, and did more research on it, I learned that there's actually a process. And just noticing your mind wandering and bringing it back, that's meditation. And that works. So the key is to find a guided meditation. And there are apps you can download onto your phone. I've tried them. And, you know, I found personally the ones that work the best for me are those that help you focus on your breathing or relaxing muscles throughout your body, your so-called body scan. Mm -hmm. And, And the guide just talks you through it. Now start relaxing your forehead muscles. Now move that sense of relaxation. I hope I don't put you under right now. (laughs) Oh, no, you won't. You can try. (laughs) Okay, move that sense of relaxation down to your jaw muscles and so forth. And what you find is your mind will wander. But the key is to notice that wandering and just bring your mind back. And if you can do that, it will work. Yes, we work a lot on staying in the moment and being present and and all that fun stuff. So I I get it. (laughs) The key is to let go. You know, there's a tendency to judge oneself. Oh, I'm a terrible meditator. But to realize just noticing your mind wandering is part of the process. And in fact, our studies have shown that just 10 minutes of daily meditation not only improves one's mood, but it improves cognitive functioning, memory. And if you do MRI brain scans, you can see the neural circuits rewiring and behaving in a different way. So it has a physiological effect. I mean, I've tried. (laughs) I tried the apps. I tried the guided. I think I just have too much happening in my brain that, you know, you can't just like turn it off or it wanders and then it try to bring it back and then it wanders. And then I'm going (laughs) to send you a link to uh, someone who taught meditation back at UCLA. It's one of my favorite links, and you you give it a try and let me know next time I come back. Back to PTSD. Okay, so how does someone know they have it and they should probably seek out some help? Well, let's get back to that term disorder. Okay. So if you're having any kind of mental symptom that's interfering with your life, that's maybe a time to talk with your doctor, and your doctor uh, may wish to refer you to a mental health professional. And then... Um, the professional can go through the different symptoms you're experiencing. If you have that cluster of symptoms that I described, you know, the, uh, the vivid dreams, mm-hmm. the startle response, other mood symptoms, there's a good chance 
that you have it. And so that's a first step to recognize that there's an issue there. And there's, there's lots of forms of treatment that can be helpful. I mean, there's various forms of psychotherapy. Certainly if there's a depression, perhaps antidepressant medication could help. And uh, people do improve with time if they stick to the therapy, if they have a good therapist, uh, if they uh, get some distance on the experience, and they learn how to navigate their lives so that uh, the symptoms don't reemerge. And if they do, they learn how to deal with it and bounce back more quickly. Yeah, because I feel like it's all about, you know, a healthy memory. And it's okay to, to remember something and it's okay to, to feel something. But at the same time, you don't want it to interfere with your life and not get out of bed because of it. That's right. And also to, to learn what your triggers are and to try to avoid them. You know, I think there was a, a case, uh, a patient who I saw a number of years ago who uh, he had been in uh, the Middle East in the military, had several deployments, and uh, had a tough time when he came back and had classic symptoms of PTSD, as I described. And he, uh, you know, it's interesting, when you look at the science behind this, your brain chemistry is altered. I mean, they find that there are certain levels of stress hormones, cortisol and others that are elevated in the brain in people who suffer from this. And there are certain areas of the brain that are affected uh, or actually show activation. There's an area of the brain underneath, behind the temples called the amygdala, Mm -hmm. which is an emotional control center. And you see that light up on the scans. You also see the frontal lobe, the front part of the brain, which is sort of your thinking brain that helps you control these emotions. Uh, That is lighting up in a different way. And when people are treated, you see the brain chemistry and you see the neurocircuitry change. So this patient actually did well with psychotherapy. uh, And uh, even uh, during COVID, he did well. He, he, what he did, he, got, he became a volunteer. He helped people. And that's a great way to bind anxiety about traumatic events where you feel you're part of the solution. You feel empowered rather than a victim. But when there was the violent death of George Floyd, he kinda, he, it kind of triggered his symptoms again because you know the, the demonstrations, the riots, it was so close to home for him, his experiences in the Middle East. So that meant he had to get back into psychotherapy, but he did do well and recognize this was a particular trigger for him. And do you think that, you know, it took him to realize that he had, you know, these symptoms and that they're affecting his life in order for him to be not cured, but to to seek out help? Do you feel that, you know, a lot of people might come in because someone else is telling them that, you know, hey, I think you, you have some of these symptoms, like a, a mother or a father or a family member um, seeing the symptoms more so than the person themselves. Many people are in denial about their mental symptoms. Uh, you know, there are attitudes that, well, you should be able to take care of yourself. Or mm-hmm. I can just talk to a friend or I don't need to talk about it. I can, uh, you're weak-minded mm-hmm. if you go to a therapist. But the reality is 
that if you can come to terms with your embracement of the stigma, that means you're going to get help faster because you're going to acknowledge that you're human and you're going to realize that there is help out there that can make a huge difference in your life. That's funny that you say that because I actually have had someone recently say to me, they, they lost a loved one due to COVID and they had, they said to me, you know, well, why do you see a therapist? You know, why do you, you're supposed to just, you know, deal with it. And we were taught when we were younger that you should just deal with it. We didn't have anybody to, to talk to and to help us. And, you know, it's, it just shows that hopefully, you know, in the future that the stigma of therapy and mental health, you know, everything is is getting on the right path because I really think that, you know, it's important to talk to people and to realize that, that there are people that could help you in different ways. I think it's getting better, but we still have a long way to go. I think, you know, if you look at uh, reimbursement from insurance companies, mm-hmm. uh, mental health uh, benefits are always are often lower than they are for physical health benefits. And uh, there still are a lot of people who are afraid to get help for their behavioral problems. And I think a lot of the, the fear has to do with talking to someone and not knowing where to start or what to talk about. Um, so I think that's probably you know, a big fear of people is sitting across from someone and not knowing what to even say and where to start. And there's a, there's a lot of shame that people experience mm-hmm. about being weak, that they have to turn to someone else for help. And I think it's, it's hard to overcome that shame for people. I've seen it in my practice over the years where uh, a doctor will ask me to consult on a patient they think is having some problems, but the patient won't see a psychiatrist. So they might introduce me as a medication consultant <laughs> in a white coat, and I'll, you know, which is true. It, it might be uh, withholding a bit of information, but then I can talk with them about their symptoms. And, and I've seen this often in some older patients who I've treated where uh, a lot of that uh, anti-psychiatry attitude is present. You know, psychiatrists are for crazy people, not for me. And I don't have depression. I just have back pain and I can't sleep at night. <laughs> and so, you know, I'll try not, I'll try to avoid the stigma. I'll, I'll say that, uh, well, look, I know you don't feel depressed, but, you know, you got these symptoms. You can't sleep. You're losing weight. Your appetite is down. And it turns out this medicine, anti-de- an antidepressant, can help with those symptoms. So why don't we give it a try? Yeah. And often that helps. And they start seeing they're feeling better and they don't have to be fearful of the medication consultant who happens also to be a psychiatrist. (laughs) And so you can help them overcome some of those fears. Yeah, I think I've spoken to you about this before, how, you know, uh, I don't know if it was my therapist or a doctor, how they told me about, you know, vitamin D deficiencies and no one thinks anything of taking a a vitamin to to supplement their, their health. Meanwhile, you have a serotonin deficiency and that's, you know, why wouldn't you think anything of taking an antidepressant to supplement that? So, Yeah, it's clear that your, your brain is functioning differently when you have psychiatric or mental issues. And uh, it's very true. It could be something as simple as a vitamin deficiency, mm-hmm. or it could be a side effect from a medication you're taking, or it could be a genetic predisposition or early childhood trauma 
or a recent traumatic experience. And, and when you step back and look at it, there's really no shame there. I mean, let's face it, uh, we're human. We're not perfect. And uh, if we get help from our friends and trained professionals, our lives are a lot better. I love that. Anything else you wanted to add about PTSD? Beyond that there, I know for, I wanted to just tout for Hackensack Meridian Health, there is a number of programs available for our healthcare professionals and of course within our behavioral health team for people that are having issues or having any type of anxiety over COVID-19. Um, anything else to add there? I would say that we're living in difficult times. And not only do we have a, a pandemic that has threatened our way of life, but there, there's climate change, there's cons political concerns, there's divisiveness around the globe, and mental health issues are gonna pop up. It's human nature, there's nothing to be ashamed about. There's help out there. We've learned a lot over the last decade century, you name it, we've come a long way. And I've seen so many people get better when they're willing to admit there's a problem and come in and get help. Thank you so much for being with us today, Dr. Small. My pleasure. If you have a topic you'd like for us to cover, submit your ideas on hmh4u.org backslash podcast. Your suggestion could be included in the You Asked For It special episodes. The material provided through this Help You podcast is intended to be used as general information only and should not replace the advice of your physician. Always consult your physician for individual care.